0: This is Real Talk, the customer insights show with Jen Vogel, a top rated podcast in the market research and insights industry. Jen and her guests share valuable information to help you understand your customers better. Available wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also ask Alexa or Siri to play Real Talk. This episode is presented to you by Vox Pop Me, the leader in video surveys. Here's today's episode. Hello, insights professionals, marketers, and everyone who wants to understand their customers better. I'm Jen Vogel. Making the best use of technology, especially market research technology, can make our lives so much easier and help us drive results. So in today's episode, I'm joined by Raj Manosha. He's the CEO at Methodify and a dear friend, and I'm looking forward to diving into that topic further with him. Welcome, Raj. So excited to have you on the show today.
1: Thanks, Jen. Appreciate it. I'm looking forward to an amazing session.
0: Amazing session. Absolutely. Just a warning to everyone listening out there. We have a newly minted kindergartner in the house today. I'm not a hundred percent sure he won't make a guest appearance. So just in case he might come and say hi to you, Raj.
1: I'm okay with that. Let's bring it on.
0: I don't know if he'll have any, uh, any amazing market research questions for you, but we'll see. Um. So maybe just to kick off, tell our listeners a little bit about you and a little about Methodify.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my name is Raj Manocha. I've uh, been in the industry for about 16 years now. Um, Work at a company called Methodify, so I'm the CEO there. Essentially, what we do is we focus on research automation. Um, So basically, if we think about the research process, what parts of your process can we automate to make it quicker and, and much more seamless? So while we're a research tech company, we also look for more of a user experience play when it comes to research and basically trying to figure out how to turn research that used to be six to eight weeks old into one or two days. What we try to do is basically take different technologies, stitch them all together, layer them so you have this opportunity to create great research, get great feedback. Um, that's one of the reasons we're also partners with Fox, pop Me on a bunch of stuff as well. So we're, you know, we're looking for best of breed technology stuff, and we like to just play around with different things, all in the sort of vein of helping the industry move forward.
0: That's awesome. And I like that topic of just making things faster and automating, and obviously it's a need that like all of our customers have and in the insights space. But um, one of the things that I know I've been hearing in my conversations with people in the industry is like this fear that that speed is going to impact quality. Like, what are you what's your position on that?
1: It, it absolutely is for a lot of things. So I think there's a time and a place. And I think too many times in the industry, we basically tell a story that we sh- that sort of we think should apply to everybody. And I think it's about having the right tools in your toolkit. So whether it is that full service sort of thing you want to go to, and you go to the more uh, tra- 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 traditional firms to get that that sort of re- that, that piece done, or coming to companies like ours or yours, anybody else's where it's about that quick turn research. So it's about having the right tool for the right project. And I, I think sometimes that message gets lost. So I think it's about balance. And so we're this really interesting time in the industry where you have so many choices. And so as an insights professional, the real value for you you now is to pick what tool actually makes the most sense to get the data back that your company needs, not just to have all this stuff and use it all the time. So I think everyone always talks about how automation might replace the researcher. It's the opposite. The researcher now has to be even more powerful to understand what tool to use when and what's going to bring value when.
0: I totally agree. And I think that's something that's come up too in other conversations. I think it was A few months back, I was speaking to Kari Campbell from L'Oreal, and he was talking about this idea of risk and rigor and like how much effort and resource you put behind a particular research project based on the risk involved with getting that answer wrong. Right. Like there are certain things you can afford to, you know, maybe not have the quality that you wanted or not spend the amount of time because you're looking for a quick pulse on something. And then other things that, like you say, you do want to invest more in.
1: Yeah, it's a great point. And I have a colleague, Ryan Crawford in the Toronto office, who has this lineup called below the line research. And so what automation really lets you do is do research on stuff you probably wouldn't have done or or what you couldn't afford in the past. I think that's a big sort of recognition of what automation actually brings to the table. It's you know, a lot of times that insights professional might get challenged by the marketer, the CMO, the product leader that it's too slow, it's too costly. Now, you have all these tools to do research in places where you never could have done in the past. We have one company who every time they would sort of adjust their website or their app, they would adjust the wireframes and the developers never got feedback because they wanted to go so quickly. But now there's a lot of methodologies out there where the developers are actually the ones doing the the research work. I mean, can you think of a time in the past where that would have happened, right? So automation lets you as a company, particularly if you're an insights professional, get your tentacles. In different spots that you probably wouldn't have been in the past. And I think that's the real power that insights becomes more transformative across the organization, not just in a silo. And that's that's what really we're trying to get to. And I think a lot of companies are in the automation space. How does the insights professional have more power across organization versus just in their own, in their in their own, in their own place?
0: Sure. Yeah. It really helps with, like you say, like it's such an iterative process for product development or for creative. And there were so many, there's so many opportunities that get missed for research to be involved if you're using, you know, if you're not leveraging the automation that's available, but that really allows you to get more iterative and get some quick pulses where, like you said, you wouldn't have devoted any time to research in the past.
1: Yeah, and I think it's important, like you brought up it before about the, this fear, right? How many, like a really good company will say no to things that just don't make sense. And we've, we've started to get into that mindset as well. I think a lot of these automation firms or research technology firms, and I will not say ResTech because I think that's the stupidest word in the world, but research <laughs> technology firms, Um, Basically, it's how do you approach a client with actually your sweet spot. And I think a lot of times at the beginning of a lot of companies, you take on what you can because you got to build your brand, you got to get the logos on. Not always the right thing, but everyone understands the revenue challenge. But realistically, what we're trying to get to as the market matures, is about saying yes to the right things because then it also gives the insights professional an understanding of where to use the stuff and it's not just about everything it's about the right thing and not enough companies are saying no and that is causing a problem for a lot of automation firms or research technology firms because you get lumped into this oh I had a bad experience and it's because we've created the dynamic where we're saying yes to the wrong things. Mm.
0: That's really interesting. So you know, I was going to kind of go into this next question I have for you about like, you know, we're talking about choosing the right moments, right, or the right methodologies or right technologies for to solve a specific problem. So I was going to, you know, ask, like, how do you know? How do you choose? But you bring up an interesting point there about where is the onus on the technology provider to help guide that as well. So maybe I'll add that as a sub question of, you know, how do you how do you know when when it's the right time to use this particular type of tech?
1: yeah it's a great question, and, and I'm not going to get on my soapbox too much about venture capitalists and p and money and how it's sort of impacting everybody, but there are almost eight hundred different companies in the space, and there's about sixteen point five billion dollars, and that's like back of the napkin math in terms of the space being spent. If you're an insights professional, can you imagine the amount of emails you are getting constantly daily from these people trying to sell you on something? And they are going to just want to get you on board, pilot something, do something. And they tell you about, you know, if you do this, this is what's going to happen, right? So everyone gets very interested and they want to do these things and their freebies and all, all this stuff. But it, if it goes wrong, it has a bad taste in the mouth for the insights professional. And then they're going to say yes to less and less things. As an industry, we do ourselves a disservice because we're trying to get logos, trying to get revenue, because we're trying to balance investors as well. It's not just about the technology, but if you're if you're invested by a venture capital group or a PE group, you have to have a run rate. You have to do a bunch of other things to get you there. And that lets you make the wrong decisions. So I think what ends up happening and the challenge or the balance is that there's industry want to grow. We want to get more money in the space. We want to build these amazing technologies, but not at the cost of the clients. And I think sometimes, particularly in the last, I'd say, 24 months, you're seeing this disparity of use cases actually being right versus just use cases. And so I think that'll change over time, but we're in, we're in the infancy of, of what this is as well. And I think it's, as an insights professional, you have to be okay with that gray area, but not to the point where it's going to ruin your reputation or the ask you have internally.
0: Well, that that's a lot for somebody who wasn't going to get out of soapbox, but... <laughs> <laughs> um but i guess what i was gonna um ask i'm sorry i'm distracted i am i am hearing a mommy from the other room but i'm trying to trying to get back on track here um you know what this is reminding me of is actually like a bunch of years ago you know customers coming to technology companies or to even full service agencies going i want to run a mobile study well why is because that's the buzzword, because that's what people are talking about. That's like the newest tech. So I want to use it, not because it solves the industry problem. Hello, this no is Charlie is visitor. Um, <laughs> uh, he's, uh He's wanting my attention right now, but we are live on the air. So we are going to roll with this. Um, we got this. We got this. Yeah, we got this. So, I mean, I guess like, you know, it is really important that companies are thinking about like, you know, well, what problem am I trying to solve and what technology or methodology is going to help me solve that problem?
1: Yeah, exactly. Plus, I love the new, the new, the new name. I think that's. I love new, that. Awesome. Kudos
0: to our producer, uh, acting on the fly. Thanks, Christoph.
1: Awesome. I think it really, you know, what it's an interesting time because we've had we've had the most complex problems we've ever had in the industry as well, right? We have this, this ideas of sort of mixed method pieces, or you have marketing mixes where you're trying to figure out things like TV and online and mobile, and you got you got a lot of companies who has very very difficult problems and. And the problem is that there's no one solution. So I think this idea of layering technology. So for example, whether it's us bringing on companies like yourself or partnering with Zappy or Quantaloop, or Qualtrics, like more and more sort of of these high-end, high-level engagement pieces require multiple technologies to solve some sort of unique problem. So it's more about, can you play connector? Can you all play in the same sandbox? Because these companies really don't care if, if it's you or anybody else, they want a solution. So I think as an industry, we're becoming more challenged to figure out how to work together. And that's why you're seeing this rise of APIs and more of these these sort of open source things and more agnostic plays. I mean, that's a big belief for us as well. It's about agnostic. We're not trying to sell some sort of solution to you. We need to get you to kind of get the solution that's going to fit your problem and get you get your solution. So I think if the industry itself focuses more on the client solution versus just how do we sell more of our of our own thing, we'll be in a better spot because if we can empower the insights professional, we're going to get more spend. The more wins we can get, the more use cases we get that are right, the budgets are going to increase. We've seen that from even our clients. And I know a lot of my, my colleagues out along the line have, have seen the exact same thing. So I don't think that's going to change We need to do the right things
0: yeah i think you're totally right that this idea that collaboration is the new competition right it's we are all playing in the same space and you know if there's a there's been a big shift over several years of um all research being done for me as an insights professional to me doing a lot of research myself so in that transition there's a lot of parts and pieces to pull together and the more technology providers can work together to help make that easier for the user, like the better results everybody's going to have.
1: Yeah, and you bring up an interesting point about this being done for me, because I think what we're seeing as well in this pendulum shift is they want, a lot of corporate brands like the DIY system, but they need that full service at the end right so you're going to get this white glove service on top of DIy and i think you're going to see a lot of these research technology companies actually transforming to research houses driven by technology not not just tech companies but but full service companies driven by tech so i think you're going to see that in the next sort of five years a big shift you'll see a lot of m a in terms of folks getting scooped up to, to create these sort of behemoth companies that are actually solving things but around technology, but have, you know, 20% of their of their work staff being researchers. So I think that'll be a big shift for a lot of these companies um, because it's still it's still good work. And I think it's going to challenge the the folks who've been at the top for a very long time. So think of the Cantars, the Ipsosas, the Nielsen's to rediscover what made them amazing, which was basically they were at the forefront of, of, of all these sort of whether it was methodologies or products or people or all those types of things. We're gonna have this big renaissance of, of sort of challenging when it comes to what does research actually mean now? Is it tech driven? Is it about the people? Is it both? Right now you have fine lines between sort of this research tech group and these traditional groups, but that's gonna to change too. So yeah. it'll be a very curious time over the next five years to see where that actually goes.
0: Yeah, that is an interesting prediction because at the same time as you're seeing a lot more services being offered by tech firms, you're also seeing a lot of full service agencies being built internally That's at right. these brands. Yeah. So it's like, you know, they're trying to solve the same problem essentially where what you end up with is a marketplace with such a a spectrum of people who want to be DIY and are equipped to do so and people who Either don't want to at all, or just don't have the resource.
1: Yeah, and that's a great point. I, and you know, we've seen this in you know from research that you've seen in the seventies, eighties, nineties, and to now, you've you've seen this pendulum, right? Build up your internal resource, and then we're going to do everything in, inside. Now it's it's extended outside. We're not going to have any staff, and so if you've seen this funny thing, and it tends to be a lot around what CMO you have in your shop. Um, some of them love to get partnerships. Some of them love to build internally. And if you're, you have a really strong head of insights, who can control that that narrative as well. That's really important. But you see the shift, and I think it's going to be interesting to see as companies how do we balance the two things, right? Because we also know every every tech doesn't just stop when the research part of your side is done. They need someone to translate that that actual data. And if they have no internal, what do you do? Because you don't want to lose that client. So how do you how do you close that that, that actual story? If, you're, if they have an internal group, that's great, but they want, want some extra love on that side as well. So as a company, also, where are you investing your resources? Do you want to partner with a research firm to kind of do that stuff? Do you want to bring in consultants who can research? Do you have to hire them on? And if you're a tech company, you don't really want to do that because you're trying to get them on sort of the this, this SaaS play. It's not a service play, right? So it's a very complex thing for the industry that I think some companies have sort of figured out, some haven't. But it, you know, I think a lot of us will be challenged in the next sort of five or ten years in terms of who we want to be.
0: Mhm. Yeah, this feels like i we could spend a lot of time just talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> and this sort of balance of full service DIY technology and, you know, storytelling of data like there's so much change that's happening. Um but maybe we'll refocus on that. Yeah. <laughs> <time. laughs> Next time we'll talk more about the other stuff, but I guess um you know, how how do, would you recommend that insights professionals you know, identify which specific technology is going to meet the, the, their needs in the moment.
1: It's a great question, Jen. So I think a couple of things. One, education has never been more prevalent because of things like COVID. There's been more resources, right? So even, even you know, the, the stuff you are actually producing, I think, super helpful because people can find out from folks what's interesting, what's not, what's important, what's not. You got other resources like Quirks, you got Green Book, you got TMRE. Those events are all coming up. The fall schedule has a lot of great content that are being, that's either being presented by different folks from a corporate side or just sort of white papers or webinars or articles that are happening sort of every week. It's important to get your base down then I think it's about discovery. So I think a lot of times it's important to either just sort of have conversations with folks about what they're doing, how it applies to you. They don't think it's too deep, but you you should kind of get your pulse on the industry, which is really important. And there's, again, there's a lot of events to actually do that. And, And it's important to sort of get your vision right. So if you're the head of insights and you're saying, okay, in two or three years, I want my group to look like this, or I want our process to look like this, start to map it out. Start to think about what you want to accomplish and what you're trying to get to. And that also ties back into your corporation, um, or, your, or your company in terms of what are you measured on? How do you look at your customer base? Is it, about, is it about efficiency? Is it about speed? Is it about cost? All those things will drive the way your vision works. And if you get it right, it's perfect. But once you start to get that stuff on a piece of paper, you can start to talk to the folks who actually can help you figure out how to get to that end state. And that might be things like video, audio, transcription, automation, AI, all these beautiful things that are out there. There's a ton of technology, but it comes down to building the right research technology stack for you, not that everyone else has. And it's about what you're trying to solve for, not what you hear about. And I think a lot of times what ends up happening is people hear these great stories or these great case studies. They want to mimic that, but at the, at the challenge of what their company is. And that's not always going to work. Sometimes you're trying to fit a square peg into a circular hole versus what you should try to accomplish for your own
0: company. Yeah, I I think we see that a lot. And some of that is, you know, like very well-intentioned wanting to learn from the best out there. And there are some really incredible researchers out there who are more than happy to share like how they've found success. But you're right, like having a deep understanding of what your business needs are and tailoring that is I think with, you know, that's where a lot of people struggle. Because as you said before, there's like 800 Pieces of tech out there to choose from. So, you know, how do I know? And a lot of it is new, right? It's new to the researchers, it's new to the market, might be totally new methodologies. So, not only am I taking a risk by trying a new piece of technology, but I'm also trying to create a mix of technology that, you know, I think is the best for me, is going to solve my problems, but nobody's ever done that mix before. Like it's all so new, um, which I think, you know, as we talk through it, it it makes sense why the industry kind of is slow to move forward in these ways, because it's there's a lot of risk in getting it wrong in some cases, and it's all very new to people.
1: Yeah, you bring up an interesting point. I think part of as an industry, what we haven't um, embraced is that trying things and failing is okay there's learning in a lot of things right and i think as an as a head of insights or insights manager or whatever your rule is you have to be comfortable with dipping your toe in and it's freezing water like it's okay for it not to work just don't put all your eggs in one basket like try things out pilot things you know you have to learn from stuff and i think it's about small wins first they're going to demonstrate the value of a product and then you can expedite that stuff and get bigger and get larger But don't, just because you're at a case study or you read the last Gardner report and you want to sort of do these things, that's not the right reason either, right? It's about what applies, get the right case, get the right pilot for you, get the right learning, but be very clear about your outcomes, right? If if you just say, I wanted to get this and I want to get to the state, between you and this end state are probably seven or eight different checkpoints. Get specific on each one of those things. Figure out sort of what's a win for your company and tell your, your your vendor that or your partner that. The more they know about what you're what you're looking for and sort of what that win state is going to look like for your internal stakeholders is really important because they can guide you about what's the best processor. Maybe that's not the right company or, or fit. So the more you can share, the better for these companies because we want to put you in good states, but we need to have information.
0: Yeah, I think that's, that's great advice. It's like, you know, understanding what you're... What your goals are, I think that the freedom to fail—I think it is becoming a little bit more prevalent. I hear more people talk about that in a way that's like, you know, it. We need to be able to fail in order to move forward and to to find success. And so I think that's a that's a great move for the industry if more people can adopt that mindset. And I love what you said about like, you know, mapping out the long term vision for where you want to get to, and then measuring those small wins to get there, like taking the baby steps. I think sometimes it's the, it's visualizing the end state that becomes overwhelming and it's like, well, how are we, how are we going to get there? Like you don't want to just rip everything apart and start over. It's like baby steps to get to where you want to get to in two years or three years.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like all of us want these seven-figure deals, which you know we all do. It makes sense. But the seven-figure deals come with a bunch of expectations that sometimes aren't just going to work. So, I, so our best clients have been the ones who started off a little smaller, but we got to those big deals because we did the right things along the way. Whereas some of our big deals on the front were so complex, and because they were multiple stakeholders, the expectations were so wildly different across a company they were never gonna win. And so the beauty of the small thing, is you start to get everybody in line and and sort of buy into that vision. Whereas if you come in super hot at the beginning, it's a real tough, tough way to get everyone aligned if you don't get it perfect. And even perfection is very different in each stakeholder's eyes. And so it becomes a real challenge. So as much as I want my guys to go sell these massive deals, it's sometimes better that we don't because it just gets the customer in a better spot.
0: Yeah, totally. It's it's definitely better to kind of start small and work your way up. so, uh, I mean, a- along those lines, like at the end of the day, it is about driving results. Like how do um, insights teams prove that their tech stack is actually meeting their goals? It's helping to drive decisions or, you know, helping to, um, you know, find their success, however they might measure that.
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I think when it comes down to it, most most insights professionals are measuring a couple things, right? Have they facilitate the right research, how's their budget looking across the year, their headcount. The beauty of, of Research Tech Stacks is they should be solving a bunch of those challenges. So we've done some math and basically indecision itself costs around nine full days of employees' time in any given year. If you add up the salaries in your group, that could be massive. When you think about the way traditional research might take six to eight weeks, and sometimes you absolutely need that traditional research, but these automation plays that are one to two days Think of what you've just saved when it comes to time, right? And there's opportunity costs that sometimes can't be measured. So if you don't get into market in the next two weeks, but if your competitor does with the exact same thing, maybe you've lost a share, right? So what do you do there? So I think as an, as an individual in a, in a company, look at how you're measured, how is your company measured, what are the right KPIs that are going to work, and then how can you actually facilitate the research technology stack to do those types of things? So if you're measured on efficiency, if you're measured on managing revenue, if you're measured on, on customer acquisition or retention, you can line these things up accordingly because if you get the research right or fast enough, you get extra customers or you get more efficient or you're saving a lot, a lot of headcount power in terms of waste. So those are easy to line up. But it's really important that, that you're talking to your, your, your research technology provider. If they don't know how to do that, that's a bit of a red flag because that means they don't actually get the value prop of what they're, what the, of what they're doing. If they know how to do it, they can actually give you the map of what it, it's actually going to save you.
0: You know, when it comes to picking that right technology, obviously we talked about, like, you know, maybe we'll talk, let's talk a little bit about what that long term vision is. Like, what is that? Uh, what do we need to consider when picking and implementing a new MR tech stack? Like what is the end goal that we're looking to get to?
1: It's a great question. So we have a lot of companies who come to us for that exact same question. And the way I think about it is if if you have a house and you have furniture, right? So you have all these different technologies. So think of like your video tool, your transcription tool, your qualitative tool, your research management tool, um, your research knowledge management piece. There's all these different things that happen. So how do you, what do you do with them though? You have to connect them somehow. So part of what you need to figure out is a company is what is going to resonate the most with your internal stakeholders and for a lot of folks that might be that might be a qual tool first right so it could be something like a vox pop me video piece or, or something like we have like a chris chat Chatbot. if you can get these things into play and show some resonance that they're going to there's some value there and they start to see the power of it that's your first piece then what's your next piece what's going to bring value after that But the biggest thing to think about is you don't want to have 10 different technologies with 10 different logins because each time you bring a new piece of technology into your company you have change management that you have to figure out are they going to actually use it are they going to want to try it are they going to log in every single day and actually become habit That's a real tough thing. So what we've tried to figure out a lot of companies is how can you build a house on top of that to put them all together? What if you only had one single sign login? So part of what your vision has to look like is user experience, right? If you make it difficult, people will have a difficult time trying to use your technology and use it all the time. How do you make it super simple? So part of what you need to figure out over your sort of three-year window, if we call it that, is ease of use, right? Technologies are great, but individually those are fine. But as a team, you need to figure out how you're going to connect them all together. So this idea of being agnostic and sort of API generation. And so companies like ours and a bunch of other ones will play connector and connect everybody up. That's a really important part as well. So you can have all these great different tools, but then how do you connect them all together? So I think companies like, like yours, Jen, for example, like it's such a fantastic thing, but it's only one part of the insights world. So how do we get broader? How do we think bigger? And if you want to go, if you think even further, it, research technology is now infringing on market on market on uh, marketing tech, right? So if you think of the MarTech stack, think of like Adobe's and everybody else, it's so big. But it's going to sort of cross over. So now it's about not necessarily thinking about insights, but it's about marketing as well, because that function has become much more gray with the insights professional too. So you have a lot more stakeholders, a lot more folks to think about. So it's about really thinking about small steps and then mapping them out to your bigger goal. Because the more you get resonance in terms of those small wins, the more your CMO or your head of insights or your VP of marketing will give you more money to do this because they want to get leaner. They want to get much more powerful when it comes to insights. Everyone says they're customer centric and and the customer data first. Prove it. Put the money in. Do these types of things, right? You can only say that that so many times if you do not have the systems to do it. And so I laugh at a lot of companies who want to say this, but actually don't live it, because um, you're not. You're, you're not. And a lot of us in industry actually know you're not. So you could tell that story, but we know you're not doing it. So instead, take these small wins, get on the board, and let's move the industry together, but slowly. Get the right things done first.
0: Yeah, I think that you bring up an interesting point too about you know. There's so many different people that need to get into these systems and need to you know, see the insights, see the results, see the data, like, you know, that data transparency piece and making it available to so many different people is a big challenge. And the change management piece, I think, is something that a lot of insights providers have really struggled with um, recently And this, like, as you talk through it, like, first roll this out. This is the most important thing to your business then you need to think about, you know, now we're going to have to train people and change their behavior again. Like, this is overwhelming. Like, how do we make this simpler? And, you know, I guess the like the login piece is one way to do that. But, you know, I'm sure there's a there's other ways too to make sure that you're like making it as easy as possible for, you know, to roll this stuff out internally and actually get people to adopt. The usage
1: yeah you're, you're absolutely right it comes down to things like like governance or things like how do you build a system that allows people to view things who might not be an insights professional but can can have insight access to insights right and i think if the idea for us as an industry is to get insights more pro- proliferated and more ubiquitous across the industry to everybody who can possibly access insights, we have to create tools that allow for that. And so this idea of governance has become super important when it's as simple as saying, you know, they're, they're a marketer, they can, we can box something up and they can run it if they want because we've already approved it. Or um, they're a marketer, they can look at the data, but they can't shape the data. But we allow them to play play in that exact sandbox because sometimes what I think as an industry, our disservice is we make it seem so difficult to get in. And so now it makes it even more difficult for folks to even wanna play. And now we want to all say we want to get a seat everywhere else. Well, we cause our own problems, So now we have to break down those barriers for us to get back out there to connect with everybody else. And this idea of, of research technology can allow us to do that if we open it up just enough and have some guardrails for some folks to play in a very specific way. So that will allow for more of these sort of wins or stakeholders to say, you know what, we believe in this or we want to do this or we want to invest in this. And that's a big difference because a lot of these CMOs control the budget. The only way to let them believe in you so let them play with it to see the power of it so you know it's it's as simple as that i think sometimes we get we get in our own way around how to get this because we believe we are the kings of the castle when it comes to data data is everywhere for everyone right now and we have to own that we have to know that and we have to empower them versus blocking them
0: yeah well because to your point like when we block the data that we do have and the insights that we do have that is what causes people to go out and get it themselves and you know explore the technology because the technology is so fast and so agile and reasonably priced and diy anybody who's not a researcher can use it from a functional perspective which is again one of the things that creates a lot of fear in the insights space so to your point if we can make it avail- more available and be more transparent about what the insights teams are capturing then there's no need to do that. There's no need for me as a marketer to go out and run my own research anymore. I'm going to go to my insights team.
1: That's exactly it. And then you wonder why these guys bang their head on the wall when people use SurveyMonkey or Qualtrics or companies like ours or Zapier or anybody else. Well, you create the problem. Like we need to be more open around what we do and how we can share that data because otherwise they're going to go outside. And if we want to have more of a holistic look at data, we have to be on the same page. And I think a lot of the challenges around why research tech is really bubbling the last 24 months, particularly because of COVID and people who needed other ways to look at things, but it's because more and more people are looking to buy access to get insights from from, from their customers. And the only way to for a company to play together is to look at that holistically. Your marketers, your product folks, your dev folks, your insights folks have to be on the same page around what data means to your company and what the power is. And if we can get everyone in the industry to look at that way, it changes the questions and the commentary when it comes to investing in research technology and how it's important and understanding how to stack these things. But one of the basic things we have to fight first is what does data mean to your company and who's gonna use it? And if we can get past that as an industry to everybody and that tent becomes that much bigger, a lot of these questions about things like budget go, go away. So, it's how do we tell that story, not just the insight story?
0: yeah, completely, completely um so my my one last question for you is you know as we're we're talking about all different um kind of types of tech out there, we've been kind of focused on methodology and like how we're you know um solving different business challenges and and getting the right insights and things like that. What about you know sourcing? the people right like how are we how is that changing and how we recruit for our studies how we get the right people how we you know are representative but at the same time targeted like there's been so many developments in the recruitment space as well from a tech perspective like what have you seen in your kind of experience there
1: well, it's a great question. So I I came up in the data collection industry. So I've worked at you know Open Venue, Research Now, um, Asking Canadians, which is which is part of, part of, part of our brand as well. So I've been lucky to see to see a lot of that side. It is wild, wild west at this point. And I think it's the challenge right now is what's the value back to a consumer to give feedback. And I think we have undercut them for such a long time. A couple bucks to sort of get some feedback is sort of wild when you're making multi-million dollar decisions on these people's opinions, right? So. And you wonder why it's very difficult to get people to answer questions so you're seeing a lot more different types of panels so you have the double opt-in traditionals right and then you have these sort of like dynamic panels that are happening but what we've learned is that there's not going to be just one single source to solve any problem you're ha- going to have to mix a lot of these panels up to solve different things because folks just aren't answering the exact same way response rates while they've they've managed themselves they're not you know, what they used to be i mean when i was in the industry when i started it was like 40 percent, which is insane now you're lucky to get five percent so the challenge right now is, as an as a corporate brand or as a full service market research firm, you have to be okay with multi panel approaches. You have to be okay with sometimes the price being a little different, especially during COVID, because you know people just aren't answering the exact same way. And and then it comes back to the quality of your survey. So if it's you know if they have things like video, which are so dynamic, versus these sort of long scales, which aren't. If you're if you're if you're a consumer, because these people are consumers, what would you rather do? So I think we need to relook at things like the way we ask our questions, what are we expecting back and respondent, and and also as as companies being okay with multi approach because the world is changing, the way we consume data is changing, the way people are giving feedback is changing. You're going to have to go with the times and not just look at the the actual traditional way it's been happening. So be open to change. Understand the way you consume data or your parents or your kids or whatever. It is very different. So that's going to be the big change, which I think is going to be interesting to see, how panels adapt in the future. And particularly what I think is going to be interesting is going to be you're going to see more of these sort of passive data captures and these sort of randomly one or two questions about why you did something. Mm -hmm. So we do everything on our mobile phones now anyways, so instead of asking 20 or 30 questions in a traditional survey, what if I just poked you one or two times based on what you did or didn't do? And I think that'll be much more, it'll resonate a lot more with consumers, but it's going to be much more profound for marketers and insights professionals because you're asking the exact question you need. A lot of times we ask a thousand questions of fluff sometimes that don't add, add a ton of stuff. But stakeholders want from here, 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 want to add extra questions, right? So this becomes much more powerful because then the user says, look, I, I, I answered the question. I gave you my exact feedback in that moment. That's really all I need to do. It's a good trade right now. The trade seems a little, a little bit off.
0: Yeah, totally. Well, I think in some ways, sometimes the survey questions that we ask haven't caught up with the fact that we're capturing all this behavioral data that we never had before That's right. you know 10 years ago we had to ask when was the last time you purchased from x store we don't have to ask that anymore because we have that somewhere else we know right. because you're you've got a loyalty card or you've got an account on the website like so by asking that question you're wasting their time because we already know the answer we haven't yet caught right. up to that so to your point about like You know, I make a purchase online. You don't need to ask me that I've made a purchase. You know that already. But you want to know why. What drove that purchase? Or how did I get there? Why did I decide to shop at that store instead of another store? And so those, like, more, again, Faster, more iterative questions and survey moments are important and intercepting them at the right moment as opposed to these hour-long thousand question <laughs> surveys yeah, that like, just not serve us anymore. And it's just
1: the idea of actionable data, right? And I think even yeah. from a consumer point of view, how many times have you got an email from a company when you've already bought the product saying, Oh, look, we found we found found this exact same thing you like? Well, dude, I already bought the product. Like I did exactly what you want me to do. Now you're sending me emails about the exact same thing, which makes zero sense. So part of the problem is as an industry, how do we make data more actionable, but in the moment? And I think we haven't figured that part out. To your point, how do we connect? So things like CRM data to research data to marketing data right then and there. So part of, I think what you're going to see in the next 10 years is more of these connectors between like big data aggregators that are like loyalty programs and then research folks and tying that back into survey, because you're going to have to have some sort of sequential play in terms of what data is doing and when we haven't figured that out as an industry. No one really owns that. So, so you're going to see these big data partnerships, I think, that are just going to the industry is going to buy into, let's say, on a more um, agnostic way to kind of look at data versus us doing surveys about every single thing.
0: Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that is the big question mark in the industry right now is what's gonna tie all of that stuff together. And the companies that I've seen do it really well are building those DMPs internally because everyone's needs are so different. Like there isn't a one size fits all solution. So it's like, hey, I'm X brand. I'm gonna build this internally to suit my needs because I've got different types of data that I care about than this other brand does. Um, But that is still a yeah big kind of black box at the moment it seems.
1: Yeah, and I don't think it's going to change anytime soon because the folks who could do it, like the Apples and the Googles, I mean, they're going to get crushed by um, anyone who has legislation against all the data stuff, right? So, as much as we salivate to get it right, there's a lot of folks who, you know, can be pretty terrifying if you get it in the wrong hands. So, I think there's a balance that to, to figure out. But if anyone's going to do it, I'd put my money on one of these big guys to kind of figure figure it out. So,
0: yeah, if if they care enough to try,
1: care <laughs> enough. <to> try. <laughs>
0: Well, I cannot thank you enough. This conversation has been amazing.
1: Always amazing with you, Jen. Always.
0: Amazing. I'm really glad you came on today. Thank you so much. And thanks for your patience with my distractions here. We've powered through.
1: Appreciate it, Jen. Thank you so much.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you, uh, everyone, for listening. Um, We will see you on the next episode next week. Marketing Day is back. This one-day face-to-face event will be packed for industry-leading speakers, providing essential tips and tools to improve your company's marketing. From social media, to blogging, web, to growth hacking strategies, branding, and lead generation. We'll cover a range of topics that need to be addressed for a successful, comprehensive, and interconnected marketing plan. We'll talk big picture strategy and annual content calendars down to the granular level of getting more visible on LinkedIn. So you lead informed and inspired. If you're ready to get a jumpstart on making 2022 your best year ever, Don't miss Insights Marketing Day. Visit insights-marketing.org. Use the code PERCH, P-E-R-C-H, for 20% off your ticket price. See you there.